Welcome back all to the show. I'm your host, Soli, and sitting down with me today is entrepreneur and host of the podcast, Stand Up Comedy, your host and MC, R. Scott Edwards. Welcome. Hey, 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 hey that is so exciting. Good to be here, Sully. Uh, uh, you got uh, a lot of stuff going on with the Jacked Up Review Show. Uh, Too I'm much. just honored to be here. Anytime. Uh, we, we were meeting on just one of those various like podcasts, like media, you know, promo sites and i was like yeah if he wants to keep telling just wonderful stories about just developing working and just <laughs> hosting all these various uh stand-up uh concerts you know i i gotta i i gotta hear all these you know firsthand uh, i can share some of my stories but i mean uh i i find it cool that uh from listening to your podcast how you have actually kind of just uh you want to get into the meat and potatoes of it but you also want to go into you know why that ex each experience stood out as opposed to you know here's this one cool time you know on my right right stories. so let's give your listeners a little bit of a base a little bit of a foundation uh i'm a lifelong entrepreneur i've opened over a dozen companies back in august of 1980 before you were born i opened up the 12th uh that's right 12th full-time comedy club in the united states well, called everyone laughs unlimited and i've had a chance to work with several entertainers that went on to fame and fortune um and i own that i built it up to a chain of comedy clubs and then i sold it all in 2001 so i had it for about 21 years and the experiences of working with those entertainers and that uh uh fringe of celebrity is what made sully reach out to me because uh um, you know, the, the wacky things that happen when you're interacting with stand-up comics is always entertaining, right? Right. <laughs> Even when it's a bad night, it's pretty entertaining. Oh yeah, no, no. In the comedy nightclub business, uh, you get plenty of bad nights and you just got to make the best of it and find the funny, right? Mm-hmm. Oh man. And, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get into it, but I mean, it's just cool to know that you know there's there's many who can just recount some of those days like you know it's no different than the first day they went to high school you know it's just or a music concert that they attended it's some of it just stands out just so just intriguing and just yeah seeing and the evolution and i can name drop a few people but what's interesting is that my club was in a room i worked with people that already had some experience on stage, but they were before their fame and fortune. So for example, in August of 1980, my opening act, it was his first gig out of uh, Phoenix, Arizona. He made $150 for a whole week of work was uh, none other than Gary Shandling, who Ooh. a lot of people will know <laughs> from the Gary Shandling show, the Larry Sanders show. Uh, he hosted the tonight show for a while. I mean, uh gary's done over 100 tv shows and movies uh sadly he's passed on but uh, uh a, a great celebrity entertainer in movies and tv and yet in 1980 he was making 150 bucks uh working his ass off for me <laughs> right <laughs> yeah so i mean everybody starts somewhere right uh uh, I got a chance to work with Charles Fleischer. If you guys don't know the name Charles Fleischer, he was the voice of Roger Rabbit on mm -hmm. Frame Roger Rabbit. And he was really esoteric and unique on stage. 
but different people pass through a comedy club in the decades that I had it. Uh, everybody from unknowns like uh, uh, Tom, uh, well, and then I just had a brain fart. Uh, we'll say Jeff Jenna and uh, Tom McTeague, and uh, but also to Robin Williams and Jay Leno. Uh, so, you know, it's really exciting being on the fringe of show business right. and um, being able to experience those interactions. Oh, totally. And then even seeing all these other guys who became known for something totally different, uh, especially in sci-fi horror roles. And you're like, wow. So Tim Thomerson left, uh, John Kassir, the voice of the Crypt Keeper, you know, <laughs> Tills from the Crypt, did some stand up briefly. But uh, it just it is awesome just seeing so many of these ca uh, cool cats just wearing multiple hats. I didn't even yeah. need to make that rhyme, but I just, no. it's, it's <laughs> uh, like, you're wow. a poet and didn't know it. So yeah, <laughs> Sully, what it is is that um, people use stand-up comedy to share who they are, get their funny out, find their creative side, and just a few, you know, one two percent. You know, I call them the people that get the golden ticket end up being rich and famous you know uh jerry seinfeld worked for me ray romano jay leno dana carvey bob saget dave <laughs> these guys all got the golden ticket all had great careers but i could name a couple hundred comics that never became famous but had great careers in entertainment so a giant. great example right so you've probably never heard of ed solomon mm-hmm right? So everybody yeah. should Google him. Uh, Ed Solomon was a stand-up comic. He was a terrific writer, but not a great performer. And I once told him he might want to focus on his writing. We'll fast forward 20 years. He was the <laughs> writer of the script for Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Mm -hmm. uh, he did all the <laughs> Men in Black movies. He did Now You See Him movies. He's working on some new projects. He's got oh, homes yeah. in England and the U.S. Huge huge movie script writer i mean uh rich and famous in the in the movie industry and yet it all started from stand-up comedy so <laughs> yeah. that's just one example of somebody taking their experience in stand-up and turning it into something totally different oh totally and i mean and you know because i mean i've seen so many other filmmakers kind of get flack for that it's like okay you know they'll make a cameo in their movie and it's like oh you know, your acting's not there yet stay stick to what you do and i mean i, I think uh you know every but with comedy you do have to unfortunately go on a stage and you know you're gonna have to fail to get good and i, I think so many people they just can't put that together when they see a movie or show is like well yeah this filmmaker had to make this awful movie to make this great movie <laughs> But yeah, and I've got a greatest story for you, uh, Sully, that I think you'll enjoy, but you're making a great point, is that every time somebody sees a celebrity and they think, oh, overnight success, there's literally decades no. or, or many, many years of practice and, and trial and error and bombing, as you said, to get to the good stuff. That's how you take an idea and turn it into gold. But my story for you, I think, uh, will be entertaining for your audience. Back in 1980, 81, uh, there was a, a very not famous sitcom. It was only out for a few years called Bosom Buddies. And the star <laughs> of that show 
uh, had to do a stand-up comedy set. So a good friend of mine, Bob Saget, was a good friend of his, brought him up to my club, and he worked my club for a whole week. Bob Saget wrote material for him. I kind of showed him the ropes about working the stage, where to look, how to use the mic, interacting <laughs> with the audience. And he put together a little comedy set, and then fast forward about 10, 15 days, the episode where he did the comedy on the Bosom Buddies TV show came out and we got to watch that and we were all a part of it. Well, you may have figured it out, but most people wouldn't know. You might know the name. It was Tom Hanks. <laughs> yes. So Tom Hanks, who was not the Tom Hanks that we all know now 40 years later, was just getting his uh, cutting his teeth in acting. And this was his very first gig. Yeah, on a sitcom called Bosom Buddies. Yeah, um, I forget. I think it was Compound Comedy, or which is hosted by the uh, creator of Comedy Central. Um, I think they just talked about how uh, Bosom Buddies doesn't seem to be rerun so much, and they don't know if it's just it's not as popular or political correctness or anything. But it was a start, like you say, for many big faces and you know the co-star of that i always forget his name you know went on to do a bunch of other key yeah there was roles. there was a lot of shows i got a chance to work on stage with uh, a young actress named shirley hemphill and a lot of people don't remember the name but she was one of the stars of what's happening which was it <laughs> in the 70s and also she had her own show called one in a million in 1979 but you know if you were a comic actor in the 60s and 70s by the time comedy hit its what i call the rock and roll stage where it just really took off so like i mentioned sully i when i opened my club it was the 12th in the country in 1980 by 1985 there was one on every corner it was like freaking starbucks right <laughs> yeah. all the all the old 70s discos became comedy clubs and there were TV shows, Evening at the Improv, Live at the Comedy Store. I had my own show called Live at Laughs. And um, it, it really exploded. But there was a whole lot of very funny people uh, before that that were doing uh, stand-up comedy. And Shirley Hemphill was one of those, uh, along with uh, several others. That's great. And it's also just kind of fun to just kind of when when you people forget when you interweave and see all the behind the scenes a lot of it is you're standing around watching observing but you're you're learning that is your education that's your training <laughs> right right i mean it it's uh the way a lot of people get started as i mentioned ed solomon was a stand-up comic he learned how to write a script did some tv work and ended up writing some you know famous movies uh, another one of my regular acts karen anderson used to actually teach comedy at my club to open micers and she went on to be the head writer for the ellen show so <laughs> you know you you get a talent for something like writing comedy and there's a lot of different roads you can take to find success and she's just one example uh tim bedore uh got a start at my club as a stand-up comic and he ended up uh as a, a radio star a lot of people may remember him. You can still hear him on the Bob and Tom radio show, which is nationwide. Uh, but Tim Bedore is a, a terrific stand-up comic, headlined all over the country. But his roots in his success were in radio. And who listens to radio now? <laughs> <laughs> right. You'd be surprised how 
even with all our internet taking over, there's still some people is like who are I don't want to say they're backwards, but it's like they get most of their info still from radio, whatever it's slanted, slanted as. But then, well, I think what, much. Yeah, I'm interrupting you. I apologize. No, but much like podcast, when you're stuck in traffic, you're in your car, you're working out, radio or audio entertainment like a podcast are great ways to be entertained, learn something, get the news, like you said. So radio, I don't think will ever go away, but it's not what it was. No, or it's very corporate now. And yeah, it, I, I listen to even more college radio than I do actual radio. But it's just funny how, you know, with when Sirius and the other satellite stations were kind of competing. And then, uh, you know, I think around 06 was probably the first real podcast. But I mean, there was like other online audio clips of people would review their favorite shows or youtube was in its infancy but it was just funny how it was like even by 2016 there were still people who's like ah, well what is a podcast and now 2016 like, i what? i think 2020 i mean really it's it's uh been amazing especially when covid came along what it did to podcasting when i started my podcast there was already maybe a million podcast out there now Lots they're not the all, very few are active but there was a, th a million that <laughs> much like youtube apple said we're out you know we're available but that was uh 2019 uh, fast <laughs> forward to now 2022 there's something like 2.5 million so <laughs> it's it. more you know it's up 150 200 no 250 percent um just in a couple years because during COVID, when people were locked down, both producing and listening to podcasts just skyrocketed. Now, COVID's ended. A lot of those podcasts have gone away. They're still out there on Apple and Spotify, but they're not active. They're not adding episodes. They're not yeah. updating their info. People like you and I enjoy doing it. We have a, a niche. We have a group of listeners. And so we keep doing it because... We're giving something to our listeners. They're giving something back to us, and we're doing it for our own entertainment. It's somewhat selfish, but a lot of fun. I love podcasting. And it kind of is fun kind of giving yourself your own homework. It's like, hey, I'm going to research this topic this week or prep for this. <laughs> and it's exactly. fun. I don't mind completing it or half-assing yeah. it. I, it's but, fun. But yes, like you say, it is – you kind of – to put on a good show, you really have to love what you do, and you really do have to set your own deadline. Well, for me, Sully, I, I had those chain of comedy clubs and sold them in 2001, and I went into the auto industry and had some success there. Then I ended up owning an insurance agency, had some success there. I recently sold it and kind of semi-retired. But what was amazing about podcasting for me is that I had so much fun in the 80s and 90s working with Jay Leno and Ray Romano and, and all these people that we've name dropped, Paula Poundstone and mm -hmm. Diane Nichols, many, many others, that the podcast, my podcast, Stand Up Comedy, your host and MC, listen today. <laughs> listen um, today. <laughs> is them all. for me <laughs> to reconnect. You know, I'm I'm interviewing old comics, some famous, not so famous. Um, I got a chance to uh, uh, interview Kelly Monteith out of England, Amazing Jonathan in Vegas, 
Um, oh. I just did Dennis Blair out of New York and mm. Vegas. And, uh, you know, uh, so me, the podcast is a way to reconnect with that time in my life that I really had a lot of fun. I mean, I've, I've been pretty blessed and lucky to have fun my whole life. That's been my goal. I don't have any money, but I have a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, and like you say, you, you're not just reliving it, but you're also just kind of, you're reconnecting with some people who you might have seen at those. Um, were there any uh, comedians who you would see at other comedy clubs in the area and be like, hey, you know, you, you would give them an invite. Hey, you can come perform by my store anytime. Well, when you're so I would when I joke about being on the fringe of show business, I'm in Sacramento, California. It's the central mm -hmm. part of the state, but we are not a hub of entertainment. <laughs> right. There was a big comedy scene in San Francisco. There was a big one in LA, one in New York, one in Boston. But right. there, I, so I traveled to San Francisco and Los Angeles on a regular basis to scout talent. And if there was somebody I thought would fit my audience and fit my club, yeah, I would approach them and say, Hey, you need to be working for me. And that's how I got a lot of talent. Uh, the other way people got on my stage was this was back when there was a thing called a VHS tape. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> it was a half-inch wide tape and it's a thing. put it in a machine. Yeah. So people would send me VHS tapes of samples of their sets. And I would get hundreds of them uh every month. And uh I didn't have time to watch them. I had one of my uh minions watch them and then pick out the good ones that they liked. And I watched <laughs> those. And, yeah. Right. And uh and then I would go through it and pick the ones I wanted to book. But um, what's great about a comedy club, and there's still many out there. Of course, when I opened, there was 12, then there was like 500. Now there's still maybe 200 great clubs. My club that I opened, Laughs Unlimited, is still operating. So not only was it one of the first, it's now one of the oldest at 42 years old. So um, anybody listening, you should go and visit a stand-up comedy club. There's nothing like live comedy where you're a part of the show, the audience becomes engaged with the entertainer. It's great entertainment, but also consider getting on stage yourself because it's very healthy emotionally and, and cathartic to get on stage, figure two or three minutes, you're probably going to bomb, but give it a shot, man. It's really uh, uh, opens up your soul. Absolutely. I and I haven't had near as many experiences as I would love to uh, list. Um, uh, uh, let me ask you if you've seen any of these comedians live. Uh, have you seen uh, Greg Proops? Oh, yeah. Uh, Bobby Lee? No. TV? Okay. Uh, and Wayne Brady? Uh, I know of him. I have not seen him live. I no, that's fine. Know who and, he is. and don't get me wrong. You got a way better spreadsheet than me. But... And <laughs> Who have been some of your favorites uh, that are on the wall of shame that is, is you know, noted on the store as having all the headshots of those who have previously performed? <laughs> well, you know, what's great about being the producer of a show. So I wasn't a comic, but I was on stage every night as the MC. But I was the producer, so I could book people that I wanted to interact with. Give them now, an opening intro. Sense of, yeah, so I get my sense of humor from my father so for him i booked people like soupy sales and pat paulson which a lot of the audience may not remember but were big big comics in the 50s and 60s um for me personally 
Uh, Robin Williams worked my stage twice. I got, I'm a big Monty Python fan. I had Graham Chapman from Monty Ooh, Python wow. work for me. Uh, oh, I, one of my biggest thrills, you may remember the rock and roll song called Earache My Eye from <laughs> Cheech and Chong on the Big Bamboo <laughs> album. Well, I had Tommy Chong on my stage twice playing that song live. I mean, nice. freaking awesome. <laughs> that is great. <laughs> Yeah. So you get a chance to work with your heroes. You get a chance to meet people. Uh, I became good friends with Harry Anderson, who people may remember from Night Court and mm -hmm. Cheers. Great magician. And uh, we did a lot of hanging out and doing stuff. A famous ventriloquist, Jay Johnson, who was on the TV show Soap in the 70s, yes. uh, was a regular at my club. Oh, uh, him and his character, Bob. And uh, so there's so many experiences that happen. Um, I'll tell you a great story. Uh, in the early on 1981, I was still in the small banquet room I started in before I opened a brick and mortar club. And uh, Gary Shandling had gone from opening act to headliner very quickly because he was so funny. But it was a Wednesday yeah. night, there's maybe 18 people in the audience. And Gary's about halfway through a set. And this guy <laughs> gets up and goes to the restroom. Right? Gary goes, wait a minute, that's way too high percentage of the audience. He goes, come with me. Gary takes the 17 other people <laughs> down the hall and into the men's room. And this guy's standing at the urinal doing his business. All 17 people, men and women, cram into the men's room. Gary goes and stands right behind the guy and just starts doing a set like nothing had changed. <laughs> <laughs> it was a once in a lifetime thing it was incredibly funny those 17 people will never forget that happening in their life and the guy <laughs> the poor guy trying to do his business you know is looking like this and really nervous and, and you know we made sure he washed his hands for damn sure. <laughs> kind of a four shadowed it was you know what became his later you know breaking the fourth wall kind of shows <laughs> yeah like, maybe who knows that was a premonition i'm gonna of interact to with you i'm a, but, he might as well be the first guy to do that before someone else does it yeah no uh gary was uh a genius comic and and uh went on to be a talented actor and uh there's been so many of those stories that people we got a chance to work with uh people may know uh brian posain from uh, the big bang theory mm -hmm. brian I, is a local sacramento guy that got his start in comedy at my club and and i sat in the audience with his mom as he was doing uh some of his first sets on stage and his mom was so funny he goes oh oh brian shouldn't say that that's too nasty you know <laughs> yeah so i go it's okay mrs hossein you know this is part of the process but brian has gone on to uh, fame and fortune as an actor but his roots are in stand-up comedy he was always one of those i never knew his name i was like hey that's the guy with the dry sense of humor on just shoot me and it is yeah, funny he's when done he's, a few shows but big bang really kind of i think that was like the, the sixth map. part of his career and then really now he's immortalized you if you don't know me from this and the pixar animations and even conan appearances then who the hell are you but it is just funny how <laughs> so who it, do you like Sole? who who in stand-up comedy is oh, there anybody so many. from tv or stage that you've uh enjoyed you, you ever <laughs> listen to george carlin any of the classics yeah i have many of the classics just uh as well as just you know even just going far back as 
anyone who was in a comedy duo, whether it was Abbott and Costello and, you know, the March Brothers to... Bill Cosby had famous albums. I mean, he has a bit of yep. a history now, but back in the 60s, he was mm -hmm. a comedy god. Uh, I, I just loved all kinds, but uh, I, I take it with, with the roasts. I know this isn't necessarily stand-up, but still just putting on a scene in front of various sure. people. Um, I, I got to applaud Don Rickles for his sense oh. of just kind of... Jabs. It's so funny that you mentioned Don Rickles. Uh, he is one of those people that I always respected in comedy. He was uh, famous in movies and TV and did stage shows in Vegas and Tahoe and all that. And yet what's interesting about him is that imagine him doing his material in today's audience. Yes. They wouldn't get it. You know, he picked on everybody, but he picked on everybody with the idea that, hey, we're all in this crazy world together. How about I be the angry on, granddad? Yeah, yeah, I'm going to pick on the African-Americans, the gays, uh, uh, the Japanese, the Chinese. He picked on the Italian. I mean, he picked on everybody. But his theory was we're all human beings. Let's all make laugh at ourselves, right? Right. Don Rickles in today's woke society and counterculture and it would it, it they would tar and feather him. I mean, they wouldn't put they wouldn't accept the fact that sometimes you have to laugh at yourself. And he was doing the tricky avenue is like I, I think any com comedian who probably you know did a knockoff that was similar to him, you know, they kind of went just for just the mean. And he was like you say, he was about just reminding everyone about their imperfections and organizing his tone because, like you say, you know. George Carlin and even Richard Pryor, you know, were all about just kind of making fun of various society misfires. And uh, I, I think I, I sincerely think uh, that uh, Rickles kind of wanted to just be the guy who just, you know, comes here after work. But instead of complaining about his day job, he kind of mocks you a little bit. You know, it's <laughs> like, I'm your right, friend. Right, right, right. And, and it was all are. meant, yeah, How'd and it was here? all meant in good fun. There's a comic. It really was. Yeah, there was a comic that worked for me, uh, Bobby Slayton. He was called the Pit Bull of Comedy. Uh, Bobby Slayton is tremendously funny, uh, done a lot of stage work, a little bit of TV, a couple movies. Oh, wow. But he was ruthless um, on stage when it came to interacting with the audience. Always funny, but he <laughs> never held back anything. And I thought, and he was never dirty per se, he was just kind of an attack personality. And one of the reasons he retired uh, recently was that it just got kind of stupid. People, again, couldn't laugh at themselves, couldn't, you know, what's... We'll return after these messages. Hello and welcome to Culture Shocked, the pop culture podcast brought to you by four aging millennials and our outdated opinions. Join us every Tuesday as we discuss movies, TV, games, and even music, new and old. Dude, what do you think you're doing? Are you seriously trying to record a promo without us right now? Well, uh, yeah. Dude, you can't just do the promo by yourself. Who's going to listen to that? Yeah, and you probably haven't even told them that we're a pop culture podcast where we always agree on everything. Uh, for instance, the Sam Raimi trilogy easily being the best of the Spider-Man movies. J no, no. But I think we can all agree that Jaws is a classical masterpiece. Mm, nope, don't like that. But we do all agree that the sequel trilogy of Star Wars is the best in the Skywalker saga, right, guys? That comment is so ridiculous. 
I don't even know where to Anyways, be- uh, that'll do it from all of us here at Culture Shock. Thanks for listening. Do you ever find yourself thinking about who would win in a fight between Goku and Superman? Hi, I'm James Gavsey, and on the Who Would Win show, me and my co-host Ray ignore anything important happening in the outside world and debate fictional battles between characters from comics, movies, and video games. We got a new show every week, and almost always am I the winner. (laughs) Yeah, not true, Ray. In the past, we've discussed such matches as Captain America vs. Darth Vader, Solid Snake vs. the Iron Giant, classic matchups like RoboCop vs. Terminator, and even the Muppets vs. Sesame Street. That one was crazy. So if you're a fan of geek culture and love a spirited debate, check out the Who Would Win Show wherever you get your podcasts or check us out at whowouldwinshow.com. We let things pile up in the DVR. We add them to our queues. We wait for the DVDs and Blu-rays. We time shift. The Time Shifters podcast. Sci-fi, horror, fantasy, superheroes, comedy, action, film, television, maybe some not-so-current events. Find us on iTunes or at timeshifterspodcast.com. Cool thing about Blind Knowledge is we are in multiple countries. We are worldwide all across the globe. We are in the U.S. We are in the U.K. We are in Canada, Germany, India, Japan. We're in Australia, y'all. Blindknowledge.com. Now back to the feature presentation. Funny, uh, this new woke society is so bizarre that, uh, I, for example, as an MC, I might pick on a guy that's got an ugly sweater. And the guy knows he's wearing an ugly sweater. I'll say something like, you know, oh, hey, what, what Walmart had a sale or <laughs> one crappy sweater. You know, <laughs> and I'm picking on the guy and he's laughing because he knows he's, you know, some chick made him wear that goofy sweater. But what's different Ross about us. Yeah. <laughs> but what's different about today is that he might get upset. He may or may not. Usually they never did in my case. But in today's woke society, there'll be somebody across the room that would get upset saying, oh, you're abusing him and you're hurting his feelings because of the sweater he's wearing. So I'm going to get mad. And it's like, what the frick? You know, it has nothing to do with you. You know, I mean, it, it, that's some of the changes in the audience uh, that somebody's trying to that. adapt to. I think it was Anthony Jeselnik, I think, is one of the few who can still kind of push everyone's buttons without actually having to deal with any bullshit. I don't know if you're familiar with him. No, but I believe you. Okay, so he's done a lot of the recent Comedy Central rows. He's had a lot of Netflix specials, and he's, uh, what was it? I think he had a hysterical bit, I think, when he was roasting Charlie Sheen and and just making fun of how he had taken over Spin City, and it was just like the reason you had a show is because God hates Michael J. Fox, you know, <laughs> like anybody else <laughs> would have said too far. And he just knows how to kind of unleash that and then kind of ring you back in. It's like, hey, hey, right? You know, well, I think people it's a tough like landing. roast. Well, I think people like roast, uh, which by the way got their start back in the fifties. Uh, yeah, but, before New York uh, Friars. Yeah. Right. The Friars Club. Oh, good, good. I, I thought you might be too young to know that. Nah. Yeah. It started <laughs> off at the Friars Club and, and went on and ended up on TV. But what was unique about a roast is you almost had you had permission to pick on somebody. Correct. Right? And now, it's they still agreed to be difficult. there. And right. it's part of the whole 
well, if you got an issue, say it to my face. It's like, okay, we're all going to be in a room. And at the end, yeah, you'll get yeah, to Louis Anderson. Hey, I'm fat. <laughs> hey, you know, <laughs> it's just, it's just all part of the, the entertainment. But um, I never got involved in roast per se. I, I always thought that that was more about the people doing the roast and the roasty than the audience. I'm all about entertaining an audience and uh getting a chance to work with uh ray romano and and uh uh some of the other people that really connected with an audience uh, you know jerry seinfeld was probably one of the best dana carvey was uh uh interesting case do um, you know dana i i feel he is so underrated i i i ship boulders anytime i see him in town and they haven't even updated like his like bio and uh headshot i'm like guys you got to get a more recent photo if he's going to come into town <laughs> well dana got his start out of the bay area he's a musician he's an impressionist he's a terrific stand-up comic he was on my tv show twice he worked my club many many years but this was all before he became famous but a great side story uh, he had just, he was working my club. It was a Thursday night after the show and we're oh, hanging sweet. out in the jacuzzi having drinks. And I could tell that Dana was a little nervous and I said, you know, Hey buddy, what's going on? And he goes, well, I'm really excited, but I'm kind of scared. I just got off the phone with Lauren Michaels <laughs> and they want me in New York on Monday to showcase for Saturday night live. And I go, man, that's a great, you know, amazing. And he goes, yeah, but I'm, you know, nervous as hell about it. So we joked about it and had a few more drinks. And of course he flew to New York, got Saturday night live. <laughs> the rest is history, Wayne's world and movies and, and TV. And now he's got his own uh, podcast called fly in the wall with David Spade. Yeah. And you he's can find that Conan. Yeah. Uh, I've got a standup comedy podcast network.com. Uh, mm -hmm. You can go to, and it has uh, 16 different podcasts by standup comics and his is one of them. So if you need access to his podcast, go to standupcomedypodcastnetwork.com and uh, check out uh, Dana Carvey's podcast. You'll find many, many others, including mine. But it uh, Dana's had an amazing career. He's so talented. And he brought many characters to uh, Saturday Night Live. But he was doing those before on my stage. and. Right got to see him get developed and that that was amazing uh you know the church lady you know goes way back and chopping broccoli his famous song he was doing those years before saturday night live oh totally and i, I feel like he had an interesting retrospect of just the world because there's just so many others who kind of would just do the same formulas and everything and he kind of just went for more just you know how goofy can i be and then show that i'm you know, I'm not an average Joe, but I'm also not crazy weird. And his impressions are just so many just other people are just phenomenal. I'm sure you've heard his oh. R-rated version of Jimmy Stewart. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I've heard everything he's ever done. And, and uh, he was so good. Another person that people don't know is a great impressionist because he's turned out to be a super duper good actor. But Kevin Pollack worked for me mm -hmm. for many years. Great impressionist. Uh, Kevin Pollack, you know, has been in what, a, two dozen movies and all big hits. I mean, he's an incredible actor, but people don't realize he got his start in stand up comedy doing impressions. 
yeah and, and everyone else just thinks oh yeah uh, a satellite radio host i'm like well it didn't happen overnight <laughs> did acting <laughs> in between comedy and stand-up and and now it seems like others just seem to know him just for his appearances i think just with family guy and making imitations Kevin. of william shatner and it's like no not even close <laughs> well you know it's so funny he's a huge poker player so a lot of people think oh he's a entertainer that plays poker uh but he that was just one of the things he enjoyed to uh uh he played poker back in the day but of course now he can play for a lot more money <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> but uh, so there's there's uh a great lifestyle in stand-up comedy. I've been blessed to be on the fringe of it and being able to experience it. As a producer, I was able to help uh, bring together people, give them an opportunity to hone their craft and build a career, whether they became famous or not. Uh, it's been uh, an amazing life, and I get a chance to share that through the podcast. And uh, if you go to that uh, podcast network, uh, website there's videos everyone of please do stand up yeah. comedy podcast network yeah there's videos on all these guys on stage back in the day there's a free one of dana carvey doing chopping broccoli with his brother's <laughs> band that's amazing um but audio bites in, in all these podcasts so lots of great uh interactions with comedy and i i recommend to your audience that if uh they like a good laugh which is very healthy for you uh, get a chance and visit a live comedy club or listen to a good comedy podcast because uh, laughing does release the endorphins and it's very mm -hmm. helpful for you. I, I always tell everyone when they ask for advice, I say, watch or listen to something that makes you laugh. Watch or listen to something that makes you learn something about the world. And then watch or listen to something that gives you a happy ending. Three things that you gotta do. Every there you day. go. You've got a plan. <laughs> I often keep out the last stop color part because you know crazy society. But uh hey, I, those I gotta happy ask you endings. <laughs> and uh, uh you know the children don't know what we're talking about. They're saying, children, well, well, the princess runs off this. with the night. <laughs> oh, I That's always have to ending. <laughs> it's the ending of star wars you get at the death star explosion <laughs> <laughs> um uh, who's one comedian that before you leave this earth you want a chance to just meet them one more time and just say hey i'm glad i was able to host you you know pre-fame at my club <laughs> um i would have to say that one of you know i get often asked who was your favorite comic and when i've seen the hundreds i have I can't pick a favorite, but there was one that always stood out and nobody will know his name, but if you Google, go to the Googler and put in Larry Miller, he has done hundreds of TV shows and movies. As soon as you click mm -hmm. on the Google Larry Miller, you'll recognize him. Oh yeah. But he was one of the best storytellers. And I don't even know how we do today because he could tell a 12, 15-minute story and have you laughing all the way through. And today with the young audience's short attention span, I'm not sure how they do with it, but he had <laughs> a, a great bit called The 12 Stages of Drinking. He had another bit uh, about uh, snow skiing that took 10 minutes to do, but were absolutely hilarious. There's one he rarely did about uh, he, he ended up on a film as an extra 
and uh ended up doing a um you know getting hit by a sack full of books and everybody was telling him what a great job he was doing blocking it and he goes blocking it he was actually getting hit (laughs) but anyway larry miller would be the guy that uh people should look into um he some of his comedies on my shows uh my podcast Mm -hmm. but he's the guy that if i could sit down with him and and thank him uh, sadly he had a, a minor stroke a few years ago he's he's yeah. had to retire and um uh hopefully he's doing well i um, i hope man I but hope. he he's an amazing amazing young man and uh uh people should you know keep an eye out for him by the way he was made famous as the salesman in pretty woman uh, the suck up, they called it the suck up guy oh yeah uh, pretty woman and uh that right there uh helped put him on the map but he of course he did the tonight show with johnny and uh the letterman show he's done uh tons of tv shows oh yeah i it's even funnier when you realize you know audiences today might know him for for richer or poor or the nutty professor movies but i remember i think he gave a funny interview he's like i had no idea that someone saw me playing a rapist clown in carnival of souls <laughs> that movie sucked <laughs> and uh, I find it even funnier how he's one of the free titular characters of the firm on Boston Legal, but you barely oh, see him right. because his character is just, he has even more scandals and is even a bigger netwit than the rest of them. <laughs> right, a bigger criminal. Uh, and, and that's a lawyer. No, uh, but it's true that uh, um, Larry was a gifted entertainer, turned into a terrific actor. But again, as I've mentioned three or four times, it all started with stand-up comedy. So one of the reasons I love this art form is that you can do so much with it. So you know, much. whether you, you know, Charles Fleischer doing cartoon characters, um, Carlos Alizraki does uh, many, many voices from, he started off as the Taco Bell dog in the 80s. Yes. To, he's one of the stars of Casa Grande, which is a big <laughs> hit right now on Comedy Central. Mm-hmm. Um, but but Carlos was also in Reno 911, uh, the TV show and the movies. <laughs> and it all started with stand-up comedy. So um, again, I've, I think I've given six oh, ideas of how stand-up comedy led to fame, success, and and uh, great entertainment value, all in different ways. Whether you, you write movies, write TV scripts, whether you're doing cruise ships, uh, doing TV, doing movies, um whatever it is it all starts with stand-up comedy it really does see your vulnerable point see uh you know uh where you might fit in you might say hey you know fuck it i don't want to do the performing i just want to do the writing you know Uh, that's kind of what uh paul mooney kind of did for uh you know prior and later dave Chappelle. um yeah mooney was was uh really good on stage but he was just so angry and and very racist and um (laughs) i worked with him a couple times and i just wasn't comfortable around him he was (laughs) one pissed off asshole i'll tell you but a good comedy writer and he he wrote for uh the people that you mentioned and in and had some great success he knew how to kind of just translate that I, i found it interesting how you know paul mooney I just had always seen just rare, just stand-up things. I think he went to the comedy store quite a lot, and I would see a lot oh, yeah. of his videos yeah. on YouTube. But I, I was always familiar with just 
occasional just rare hbo uh comedy screenings but it was interesting how um yeah he's done comics unleashed and a few other shows but he was uh again somewhat of an angry um comic <laughs> that didn't get a lot of tv because his material was pretty uh uh rich with uh, uh well stereotypes but yeah, I mean, <laughs> but you know, he was funny and he was a good writer. And Richard Pryor appreciated him, and um, uh, several other people he wrote for. But it was interesting that you knew who he was. That that's oh like God. a name we're not I rarely mentioned. <laughs> yeah, Paul worked for me, but I rarely mention him. We had a, a a really terrific comic who was so funny, and he was one of our crowd favorites. Uh, a guy named Vince Champ. Everybody should Vince Google him. Champ. He's now doing uh, life in prison because after he quit working the clubs, he became a college circuit professional ah, and he was so like raping Lenny Bruce. Women. He was going for the underground. <laughs> yeah. But he was raping women in all these different college Ooh. towns. And because he was always changing mm. towns, it took the cops years to catch him. But when they did, I mean, he'll, he'll never see the light of day, but here's Ish. a weird case sully that you would not normally talk about on a podcast i've rarely mentioned it but vince champ was one of my favorite headliners he did my tv show he was a great comic in the 80s and then something happened and in the 90s he quit working clubs and just worked colleges and <laughs> all of a sudden you know we find out years later he was this rapist it's like oh my gosh you know he stayed at my house i mean <sighs> it's just something yeah. happened luckily the cops the caught him yeah yeah but if anybody's looking for an interesting story to research uh go to the googler and put in vince champ uh, it's a fascinating <laughs> story uh, it, and and I, i've I only think, shared that a couple times sully so this well, is well and no I, I know what you mean it is just kind of it's kind of when you meet people at work and then years later you just find out all these other stories wow he said that to you he did this and that and you're just like wow you know how did i work yeah, you with never, someone who's you know so you think you know somebody and then you find out you don't i mean uh a lot of people have uh different issues and what i call piccadillies and um you know a lot of entertainers had emotional issues uh, most of them are you know actually insecure and, and depressed and yeah. But and they use stand up comedy as a way to connect with people and express their angst. But uh, Vince Champ took it, you know, way too far and, and got mm -hmm. what he deserved. But you know, we've had several comics over the years that have committed suicide, or uh, a lot of them became alcoholics or drug addicts because they have issues and they tried to use comedy as kind of like their therapy. And it doesn't always work. And then and then the the demons get them, you know. So but that's not just comedy. I mean, that happens in all the industries, which was just makes comedy unique is that these people that you find out later on had these bad things happening were on stage. Really, yeah, yeah. In in on stage, they're funny, engaging people. Oh, a thousand percent. And you've you've thrown out some good names there that have kind of just were kind of hot for a minute and then kind of just, uh, you know, went their own way. But it's interesting too how, you know, when some of them we've seen have become, you know, everyone's still shocked when 
some of them are really good actors is like yeah because now they're getting to kind of address some of the issues they had you know outside of the the performing on on stage and yeah and i'm sure nobody in america realizes that uh movie stars and tv stars have some sort of piccadilly or issue right <laughs> yeah uh, issues Jeez. be damned uh, and they're all perfectly normal <laughs> somehow they're larger than life they can't have any issues um yeah uh now dare Just i ask say a kardashian <laughs> <laughs> so now dare i say um have you ever seen or uh heard of uh frank conniff no okay so he is best known for being tv's frank on mystery science theater but he started out with stand-up and he's gone on to write for plenty of other shows like freaks and geeks and uh he's still riffing bad movies and appearing on other wacky sh shows and podcasts um i i asked him is like you know there's some great minds that took their material from the stage and were able to pitch so many hit shows and you know he was able to fortunately write for various shows like spring to the teenage witch and uh drew carey show and i asked him is like so do some executives you know when they pass on a comedy pilot that you discover years later and and you know is it that they just didn't get the humor and he's like no more often than not you know they might be full of themselves but they get the joke it's just they don't know how to market it if it's a slow build-up uh what have been some of the best slow builds for you and personally where you're just well, like wait for it wait for it oh <laughs> gosh <laughs> well no you mentioned mystery science theater which most people have heard about and started back in the late 80s mid to late 80s uh, <laughs> and the original Jones. star and creator of that was one of my regular acts joel hodgson hey there we go and joel was so creative he the was like comedy a, yep he was a he was like a child on stage everything was a toy in fact, a lot of people don't know that one of when he first kind of slipped away from stand-up comedy was that Mattel offered him a job as yes. a kind of designer and critic of toys, what would work and what wouldn't work. So he was kind of on the fringe of the toy industry. He was a prop comic that was really unique, very entertaining, very childlike. And then he was so successful and when he would get on a, a so talk big. show, yeah. right, that they he got to create his own show, Mystery Science Theater, and that ended up being a huge success, carried him for for many many years, and then he kind of retired, and then he brought it back. But but Joel Hodgson is another one of those people that people probably wouldn't know the name, and yet he had a huge impact on entertainment in the eighties and nineties. <laughs> uh, I was glad that you mentioned Mystery Science Theater because uh joel was another one of those guys that took stand-up comedy and and took a whole different path to success oh so underrated and there's just so many times where you kind of just wish there was more comedians like that because you, you'll, you'll see other people try and kind of imitate him as t3k but they're just doing the hey let's just talk you know during a movie but uh i i do feel like they miss out on yes like like you say his prop comedy and I, I do remember the story yeah mattel one of the biggest toy companies next to hasbro offered him a gig <laughs> right right and 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 he took everything uh, a little bit more i i use the word childlike but it was really he had a fun twist to his personality and he created the robots for mystery science theater and and uh was a very funny writer 
uh, found the funny in, in everyday items. And, you know, that was his gift. But every, you know, there's a lot of people that have different, you know, we were talking about Dana Carvey or Kevin Pollack that can hear somebody talk and then turn around and mimic it. Or somebody like, <laughs> you know, Jay Johnson, who's a terrific, or Dave Strassman or, or terrific ventriloquist, Andy Gross, uh, still touring, just did a, sh a whole month of shows in uh, Florida, a terrific nice. ventriloquist. And he's famous on the internet as the split man. You want to see something <laughs> crazy, Google uh, Andy Gross split man. And he's got something like 5 million hits on his, uh, uh, he's, a, uh, he's a magician and a ventriloquist. And oh, as wow. a magician, he does <laughs> uh, uh, some wacky things and is a huge internet star. But Man. you know, you, you never know where stand-up comedy is going to take you. And uh, getting a chance to share some of these early stories about uh, a career and art form that I love is is uh, I'm very appreciative. Thanks, Sully. Uh, it well, and it's kind of where that's kind of going now. Is like if you're not sure if it'll work on stage, you can still use the video in the best possible way instead of just bullshitting. <laughs> right. Right. Well, that's, the, you know, the good and the bad internet has good things. Internet has bad things, but one of the good is that even people that don't get a chance to get on stage or have some creative um, release, they want to put out there and see if there's an audience for it. Uh, YouTube and the internet have in TikTok, I guess I'm too old for TikTok, but people have found <laughs> finding ways to express their creative side. And I, I, as a, I do have to filter it out to find the, the best ones is like, okay, my, my sister will send me 10. I'm like, okay, I'll watch one of those. <laughs> Go give me your best one. Yeah. Right. <laughs> just, right. Yeah. Just no, like any comedian, give me your best like, material. Well, like anything else in the world, things get abused. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, if, if we could only show, the good on youtube it would be a lot more fun but no we got well remember you you might be too young but mtv when it first came out the running gag was that uh oh the next one will be good right everybody watched mtv <laughs> for the next one that might be good right if you hated this you're really gonna love this it can't be yeah. worse <laughs> you go through a bunch of crap music videos and then there's one by you know uh, somebody you really like and, and, and it, oh, and all, all this waiting was worthwhile, but that was like the beginning of MTV was Ooh, <laughs> the next one will be good. <laughs> oh man. Oh, it's not easy, but I think it'll get better. I think people will get tired of it. And that's often where, you know, they channel their cynicism and they come up with even better stuff. It's, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's no, easy to get it's, annoyed when you're having people, like you say, abuse a format or just oversaturate it to where now it, you need something different now. Well, I've told the story a couple of times that when I started in 1980, there was maybe 200 comics. And by 1985, there was maybe 2000. But the problem is you had to go through 2000 to find the good ones, right? It wasn't mm -hmm. that hard to find the good ones when there was only 200. But uh, it exploded, much like the internet, much like YouTube, much like TikTok, much like, you know, whatever you're into. And you just have to work with it to and use your sensibilities to find what 
tickles your funny bone, right? Every everybody's got something different. A lot of people like these silly cat videos. I mean, I don't freaking get it, but you know, they if they like it, that <laughs> entertains them. Go for it. Oh, that cat is so cute. <laughs> right? That's kind of what cats do. But yeah. 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 Well, anyway. Uh, but uh, yeah, uh, th that could be a whole nother show. The uh, dynamics of the unique personalities. On, uh, on, well, I don't even know about comedy, just on the world with what's going on, right? Yeah, yeah video or script to video or comedy to video. And is it as... It it would definitely be a good way of just kind of channeling is like, do you really want to go ahead with this? Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, the problem is when you try, you know, my sensibilities are different than your sensibilities. And if we start to try to curb people from doing stupid stuff, then you're accused of, um, you know, uh, blocking censoring them, them, censoring them, right. Yeah. You're not allowing them to be themselves. What I miss uh, if, if this is okay to say is as a producer in my club, I totally had control on what was being said on stage. And if I didn't like something that was being said, then I would stop it and not allow my audience to hear it. Now it's not called censorship when you own the club, it's called being a producer and choosing what's good and what's right. bad. Channeling it. <laughs> right. But uh, uh, in the real world and, and now that I'm an old fart, uh, I don't get a chance to control that shit. I have to listen to all the crap to get to the good stuff like everybody else. Yeah. You got to suffer through a bad season to get to a good show. You got to uh, do a, you got to use your fast forward uh, on your remote clicker just to get to the best scenes in a movie. <laughs> oh, I'm horrible about that. There's a couple shows I watch that I like the action scenes, but they have, have all this crap soap opera stuff in between. Mm -hmm. I just fast forward it. I don't care about the character building. I just want to see the excitement part, but that makes me bad in some ways. <laughs> Not very deep person. Anyway, Cam, so we're, we're losing it. Uh, uh, well, it's been <laughs> an honor to be here. Uh, we will if, have you back. We'll, we'll if everybody gets the chance. Yeah. Check out stand-up comedy. You're hosting MC. It's a terrific podcast. Please everyone do. Both. Something for everybody. Yeah, there's both interviews and actual comedy material from back in the day. Uh, I have a short Friday show. It's only three to five minutes called Comedy Appetizers, Ooh. which is a way to start your weekend with a smile. And then, like I said, you can find everything on the Stand-Up Comedy Podcast Network.com. And there's videos, podcasts, audios. There's even a joke of the day. Sully, you'll find something you like that makes you laugh there. thousand percent. Thank you for being on here and let alone just bringing your all to this uh, and just uh, re regurgitating all the nostalgia that we wish we could relive. <laughs> well, thank you for placing it as regurgitation. But yes, uh, it's been a pleasure <laughs> sharing with your audience some of the uh, memories and, and people I've had a chance to work with. Hopefully you recognized a couple names uh, because it's been a lot of fun. I, uh, especially when you talked about the bulldog, I was like, wait, oh, I have seen him. I just didn't know his name. <laughs> was oh, Bobby like, Slayton. Yeah. Right. I just was, uh, but you know, anyone who's seen Get Shorty or Edwood, you've seen him. <laughs> right, right, right. And, uh, you know, Tom McTeague, I mentioned him. He was on the TV show Baywatch for a number of years. <laughs> he was a stud lifeguard with all the babes on Baywatch. 
back in the 80s. He was a very happy man, in other words. <laughs> <laughs> but a terrific comic. And yes, uh, now retired. But, uh, uh, you know, there, there's a lot of those people that uh, had their, you know, 15 minutes of fame and comedy took them there. They wear so many hats and comedy is the one that especially stands out the most. <laughs> right. Hey, Sully, thanks so much for having me on your show. I hope everybody enjoyed uh, the Jacked oh, yeah. Up review show got with jacked uh, up. <laughs> Cam Sully and Scott Edwards. We tried to provide you uh, an hour of fun, enlightening comedy entertainment. In a world where people actually laugh. Two men I'm got trying to get it very dramatic. <laughs> yes. Well, would you rather I do shout it? Really? <laughs> How to play it? To unleash. It's, it's so funny you mentioned. I just interviewed Dennis Blair, and he opened up for uh, Rodney Dangerfield for years, and George Carlin, <laughs> and he was doing some great impressions. But anyway, uh, anyway, stay tuned. Check out my stuff, and uh, Sully, thanks for having me on. <laughs> uh, keep buffering people. <laughs> Follow us on the web on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The podcast is available on Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Anchor, Apple, and anywhere else podcasts are available. Feel free to review our show and leave comments on any of those sites. Thanks a million for listening. It's a jacked up.